Episode 9 of Poem Life, Young Romance My mother was a teacher and a voracious reader. She did not believe in censoring reading material from us. We read anything we wanted, including the girly magazines my dad bought and unsuccessfully hid in the bathroom cabinet or at the bottom of my parents' closet. I didn't flaunt those, of course, just read them on the sly when neither parent was home. Seriously, I read them, particularly the cartoons and the letters. I read everything. Good stuff, bad stuff. One of the bad items was romance comic books. I'm holding one right now that I could have read as a teenager or a preteen, considering this one is dated 1972. It is called Young Romance and includes several stories, a page called Secret Garden of Love Poetry, and an advice column, Laura Penn Advises You on Love. There are a lot of exclamation points on the cover and a whole plague of them inside. Mom probably rolled her eyes at these when we brought them home from the drugstore. My two older sisters and I all read them. Now, I liked Archie comics, too, but I didn't read them for the same reason that I read these romance ones. They were remarkably similar, and they all followed this pattern, which is the same pattern that Harlequins followed, which I also read. Tall, studly man with strong chin manhandles lovely, long-haired lady who protests profusely until she doesn't. That's about it. I think it's probably still the main plot of romance novels today, which I did, uh, thankfully, eventually grow out of. The task before me now is to figure out what sort of lasting damage these things had on the development of my literary life and emotional psyche. If I were to directly connect some of these romance comics to the love poetry I was writing as a teenager, I would say that the connection is sometimes incredibly strong. Case in point, there is a page in this comic, which I mentioned earlier, Secret Garden of Love Poetry. I absolutely love that title. It needs to be a song or a drive-by historical marker, you know, that you could pull in and see this secret garden and read about it on the marker. This page is lined on both sides with cartoon illustrations of women looking pensive, crying, embracing guys, looking pensive, etc. The text is all down the middle of the page, and here's what it says. Now, as I mentioned, the exclamation point is the favored punctuation in this whole comic. So I will read the text with that in mind. Secret Garden of Love Poetry It's the season for spring fever, and they say it's highly contagious, especially among poets. Many of our young romance readers have caught it, judging from the volumes of beautiful love poetry pouring into us. If only we could publish an anthology of all your work! To those of you who haven't yet tried your hand at verse, we have a suggestion. Choose a quiet moment, a quiet corner, and let your thoughts drift to love and what it means to you. 
Maybe your thoughts will take shape in a poem. Maybe not. In any event, it will be a rewarding experience. This month, first prize of $5 goes to a young Canadian poetess, Diana Cook from Toronto, Ontario. Diana has written a beautiful poem of an all-embracing love. You may not grasp the full meaning of the poem on the first reading, so read it again and it will come clear. Last night, I dreamt they captured a soul and put it in a cage where it sang like a flute over the green hills and homes of the happy, bringing something of the awareness of the moment to the minds of those who have one, believing in, loving only, that which is abstract, that which defies all words. Oh my, I'm sorry, poetess Diana, but that poem sucks some big rotten eggs. Problem is, of course, I have a number of them from my teenage years that suck just as bad. But really, Diana, how does one love that which is abstract? And I'm always kind of a suspect of people who say something defies words. I think it's just you're too lazy to come up with the words. And what does it mean to bring awareness of the moment to the minds of those who have one? These unclear and indefinite pronouns are defeating me, Diana. I do have to say, though, I wrote some bad teenage poetry when I was a bad teenage writer. I also did try to make sense most of the time. So, it pains me to do so, but here is one of my examples. This one is written on loose-leaf paper and pencil in the chunky script I used until I was in college. It has a title, Buying Time, that is in parentheses, and another title is written above it, and that is Spaces. Okay, fair warning, this is bad. Don't say anything. I want to remember you just as you are now. I want to look back on this night and know I had you right where I wanted you. I'd like to buy this moment and store it in my mind, taking it out every once in a while when I am feeling dominated. You crawled into a space in my heart when I wasn't looking. Then as I grew to realize it, you started drifting away. So don't say anything right now. I want to remember what it's like to be fulfilled, to be loved, for I have a lot of waiting to do before I find another person who can fill all my empty spaces. Oh, it's so sad. I mean, it's a pile of cliches that is utterly unconvincing, but it's got this going for it. It doesn't have a soul in a cage singing like a flute in it, so there's that. All right, now, to continue my shame and embarrassment, I will also now read a poem that is probably from when I was 13 or 14, it is written on a piece of spiral notebook paper, and it was at one time folded up into a small square. It also got wet, 
because the blue ink has run and a lot of the words are blurry. This poem is reminiscent of the type of poem that most teenage girls write. No one understands us. We are all alone in the world. Life is sad and hopeless, yada, yada, yada. Now, when I was a teenager, my bedroom walls were plastered with pictures of rock stars and bands, mainly Elton John and Peter Frampton, just FYI. So the poem is called Elton John Superstar. My life is spent dreaming about movie stars. My friends are the people taped to my walls. My days are spent listening to Elton John. My free moments are spent playing my guitar. My best friend sleeps above my bed on my pale blue wall, looking down on me, protecting me, guarding me, kissing me at night, thinking of me while I'm at school, telling everyone about me, loving me, because no one else cares but him. So there is quite the companion piece for this poem in my romance comic here. Another of the columns besides the Secret Garden of Love poems is one called Laura Penn, Your Romance Reporter, which is comprised of letters and responses from the romance reporter herself. One letter reads, Dear Miss Penn, I'm 12 years old. There are lots of rock stars and movie and TV actors that turn me on a whole lot. The trouble is, none of the boys in my own class turn me on that way. Is there something wrong with me? Carol R. Yes, Carol R., there is something wrong with you. You are a 70s cliche with your worries about getting turned on. Oh, sorry. Okay, here's Miss Penn's very helpful advice. Dear Carol, when young girls daydream, they often imagine themselves as young women meeting young men. Then when they look around them and see that the boys in their class are much younger and perhaps less handsome than the men in their dreams, they lose interest in them. Don't worry. It happens to a lot of girls around your age, and there's nothing wrong with them or you. Why not try to get to know the boys in your class as people and as friends rather than as dream men? Then maybe you'll start feeling something special for one of them. All you need is time. Of course, I had no way of knowing that Elton John was gay or that Peter Frampton was a serial monogamist when I was turned on by them. It was just the way it was, and they made their way into my poetry. Well, Elton did, at least. This is the only poem I know of that I wrote as a teenager. Well, any age. That is about a celebrity. And really, this poem is not about Elton John. It's about poor little misunderstood me that no one cares about. I do realize, of course, that there are plenty of teenage girls out there who are misunderstood and neglected, but not as many as there are poems about it. I am a case in point. 
Miss Penn tries to be really helpful in her column. She attempts to divert Carol R. away from the Dream Men in capital letters. But if you read the stories elsewhere in this comic book, the Dream Man and getting him is all that's going on. And this story is so, so familiar. As I said earlier, tall, studly man with strong chin, manhandles lovely long-haired lady who protests profusely until she does it. For your listening pleasure, I am now going to read the text of the cover story of this issue to you. Please contain your excitement. Now, this will help to clarify what I was up against when I went to write my own love poetry. Souls in cages in the minds of those who have one notwithstanding, of course. This story is called Goodbye, My Lady Love and features a woman in a mini dress who has long red hair and a dark handsome man with sideburns who has a penchant for grabbing women. The top of the page has this lead-in to the story. The guy's in love with you? And you're the prim, practical type? Too much of a lady to be a lover? Well, there's an old song title that tells you just what to look forward to. Goodbye, my lady love. Okay, so in the first frame of the story, the man, studly man, tall studly man with the sideburns, is grabbing the woman with the long red hair and the mini dress and planting a kiss on her and her eyes are wide open. Glenn, stop it. You're behaving like an animal. No, like a man. And if you love me as much as you say you do, you'd behave less like a lady and more like a woman. By the way, listeners, exclamation points. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to show them all. They say that love is blind, so I must be the exception that proves the rule. Because in the night when I lost Glenn, I did love him, and yet I could see him so clearly. Sharon, what are we fighting about? Why can't I kiss you? We've, we've been engaged almost two years. And you haven't changed a bit. You still act like an adolescent roughneck. I don't like being manhandled. I know now how I must have sounded, but Glenn was rather like a spoiled little boy. Glenn, please, we have more important things to talk about. Like our budget, Sharon? I know we have to save, we have to plan, but some things don't fit into a schedule. I didn't recognize the storm signals in Glenn's eyes. It wasn't the first time, but it was to be the last. Sharon, I'm at the end of my rope. Marry me. Tonight. Forget about your rules. Just love me. Glenn, you're not a child. There's a time and place. I see. I can kiss you, but only in the right place 
and at the right time. Is that it? Glenn, I do love you, but love is private. It isn't something you parade. You budget everything, don't you, Sharon? Even your kisses. But that isn't enough for me. I want a woman, not an adding machine. Maybe it's time we called it quits. Now you are being a baby, Glenn. You're just pouting because you can't have your way. And here he grabs her under the full moon and plants the studly kiss on her again. All right, then, maybe I can convince you. This is what love should be like. Remember it? But forget about me. We're through. I'm going back to the real world. You ought to try it sometime, Sharon. Who knows? In time, you might get to like it. Glenn loved me. He'd pout for a while and then come back. Or so I thought. Here's Sharon's dad saying, Isn't Glenn coming over tonight, Sharon? Is anything wrong? Just a little lover's quarrel, Dad. He'll come to his senses after a while. I was angry, and I wouldn't call him. I had my pride, especially when I began to hear the stories. You saw Glenn going into the blue lion? This is her friend responding. Why, yes, he's turned into a real swinger since you broke up, Sharon. Didn't you know? I heard a lot about Glenn from then on until finally it was just too much to take. Here she is sitting on the beach and she's hearing people talking. And Glenn insisted on paying everybody's check. I never saw a man so free with his money. Here's Sharon thinking. That's our money he's spending. Oh, the fool. He's ruining everything. And if I let him, he won't stop until he's ruined himself too. Even then, I saw things only my way. I knew Glenn was trying to forget me, but I couldn't let him. Here she is on the phone talking to someone. No, Sharon. Glenn is out. I believe he's gone to the Blue Lion. I gave him your messages, but... The Blue Lion again? The wildest discotheque in town? I had to make him come to his senses. So here Sharon is walking into the blue line, this den of iniquity, apparently. And for some bizarre reason in this comic, uh, she's wearing this little cut-off shirt. And it just looks like bathing suit bottoms. And they're striped red, black, and yellow. She's just walking into this discotheque in her underwear, basically. And she sees Glenn talking to this woman. Glenn! What brings you here? I didn't know you went in for slumming, he says to her. I have to talk to you alone. That girl was one of the hostesses at the Blue Lion. That was what Glenn had descended to. 
I tried to talk to him, and when I'd done, Glenn, please, come away from this place. You don't belong here. Neither of us does. Still the perfect lady, Aunt Sharon. For a minute I hoped. But you never change, do you? Appearances still mean everything to you. Glenn, I came because I love you. No, you came because you're still what you always were. A blue nose, holier than thou, who can't understand that there's more to loving a man than just saying it. Glenn, wait! You're still an imitation woman. Goodbye, preacher lady, and don't call me. I'll call you in about a hundred years. The blind boar, he left me. After all I tried to do for him, as far as I was concerned, it was over for good. Okay, here, now we have another Randy guy in the blue line who grabs onto Sharon. What's the matter, baby? Unhappy because the guy walked out on you? We can fix that. Come on, let's dance. No, please, I don't want to. I don't know where the man came from. And in my neat, well-behaved little world, men didn't force themselves on girls. Sure you do. Come on. Take your hands off me. Glenn, Glenn, help me. I panicked. The man would probably have left me alone if I hadn't shouted. And then it was too late. Why, you... And, of course, Studley Glenn knocks him on the chin. After that, things happened so fast. I remember that the man who had grasped my arms had friends with him because suddenly Glenn was the center of a whirlwind. Glenn, no, let him alone. You bullies, don't hurt him. All at once, I heard a woman's voice, and it was mine. Let him alone. No one hurts my Glenn. No one. And she just, Sharon just joins the battle. Now here Glenn pulls her aside. Sharon, okay, that's enough. Let's go. We're getting out of here. Everyone seemed to be fighting. Then somehow, Glenn and I were outside. And he was laughing. Laughing. Glenn, have you gone mad? What's so funny? You, the perfect lady. Honey, you were sensational. If you could only see yourself. I, I must be a mess. Oh, Glenn, I'm sorry. I, I never acted that way before. I'm so ashamed. Why? Because you forgot to be a lady and acted like a human being? I'm the one who should say I'm sorry. Sharon, I was wrong. You are flesh and blood. But it's no good unless you admit it to yourself. Just now you fought for me. Was it so terrible? Yes, it was. It was unladylike and, and coarse and... Suddenly, the words no longer seemed important. Only one thing was important. Glenn. It was horrible, and I'd do it all over again. If I had to, 
Glenn, marry me right now, today. Do you realize what you're saying? You're proposing to me, the roughneck. Are you sure that's what you want, Sharon? Ladies just don't propose to roughnecks, you know. It just isn't done. And you are a lady, aren't you? The big oaf laughed at me, but I could see the softness behind his grin, and that was all I needed. Lady Schmady, oh, Glenn, you big dope, if you don't kiss me, I, I'll slug you. And I guess that was all Glenn needed, because he gathered me close, and I knew at last what being a woman really means. Budgets and being a lady? Okay. But loving and being loved is something else, and I've got the black eye to prove it. The End Whoo! The man is always right, and the little lady just has to make her journey that will include getting punched in the eye to figure that out. This story has so many things wrong with it. So I'm sure my conception of love had so many things wrong with it as a teenager. Now, some of my poems are evidence of this and could be scripted right alongside the stories in this comic. But you know, Looking over all my poems from 1977 to 1980, and there are hundreds of them, there really aren't that many that are that dysfunctional. I mean, I do seem to have things fairly clear about how relationships are supposed to go. So there's a contrast here. It's the one of how what we choose to read in our formative years does not necessarily equate with our intelligence level and the things we might end up writing. But the tricky part is how they relate to us on an emotional level. No matter how much I know the cliches in this story to be false, I am sure I also believed them. A woman just really wants to be overpowered. A man will find another woman easy enough if you won't put out. A man will have to save a woman who gets herself in hot water. A woman should just take a man's put-downs because he's right after all. Men really mean it when they say they don't want a lady. Until a person, male or female, has an emotional intelligence that's caught up with the intellectual intelligence, the poetry that will be forthcoming is going to have some stinkers in it. And since time immemorial, people have been writing poetry in an order to express their love Teenagers are going to keep on doing it. The only saving grace in all of this is that most of them stop writing poetry altogether. And the few that keep writing poetry and actually learn to write good poetry is a manageable number. There is, of course, that contingent of people still out there as adults, hallmark rhyming and cliching their souls in love cages all over the place. But we can't get rid of all the bad poets in the world. I mean, a lot of times that bad poetry makes really good songs. And what are most songs about? Tall, studly men with strong chins, manhandling, lovely, long-haired ladies who protest profusely 
Until they don't, goodbye, my lady love.